All right, so hello everyone. I want to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. We are live from the AFPM annual meeting in San Antonio, Texas. I'm your host, Lee Nichols of Hydrocarbon Processing, and we have a very special guest joining us today on The Main Column. Keith Chesson, who is the Executive Vice President of Synovus Energy. We're going to be talking with Keith today about his organization's growth in the United States, energy security, decarbonization, and a whole lot more. Now, we got a lot to get to today, so I want to welcome in our special guest. Keith, how are you doing today? Hey, Lee. Great, uh, great to be here, and thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. Well, thanks for giving us a couple minutes uh, to discuss a lot of important issues that we're seeing uh, within the industry today. So um, before we dive into those questions, though, can you just give the listeners a little bit more information about uh, Synovus Energy and, of course, your role with the company? Sure. Uh, you know, Synovus is not overly popular name down in the U.S., but uh, we are one of the largest oil and gas companies in Canada. Uh, we produce almost 800,000 barrels a day of, of production. We have operations uh, across Canada, on the East Coast of Canada, in Western Canada. Obviously, our operations down here in the U.S. Uh, in the refining segment. And then we also have uh, operations over in Asia, so uh, in Indonesia. So pretty, uh, pretty broad, broad portfolio and uh, have, uh, have been around since uh, the spinoff in, uh, in about 2009. And, and uh, you know, my role inside the company is I run the downstream part of the business. So you know, really trying to find a home for all of that upstream production, and yeah. uh, and the U.S. refining business is a great home for it. So <laughs> absolutely, and we're going to dive into that. And so um, I want to get to the bulk of the discussion here. Uh, so I believe in February, uh, your organization announced that they acquired 50% of BP's stake in the Toledo refinery in the United States, uh, state of Ohio. So can you talk a little bit about why Synovus did this and, of course, how and why your company is growing its presence in the United States? Yeah, sure, Lee. So if, if you think back and actually step back to, to 2020, uh, we announced a pretty transformative acquisition of the Husky asset. So... You know, Husky were the owner of Lima Refinery, the superior refinery, and 50% owner in uh, in the joint venture at Toledo. Um, you know, we, we got into this business because we are, as I said, a, a pretty large Canadian oil sands producer. Um, and there's a logical home for that product, and it's, it's in the infrastructure that's been constructed in the U.S. So when we look at our assets, um, you know, Toledo is a fantastic fit. It uh, consumes the molecules that we produce in Canada. It's well connected to the infrastructure. Uh, it's a 160,000 barrel a day gross refinery, and uh, and it will consume about 90,000 barrels a day of the product that we produce. You know, the other interesting fact about Toledo is, you know, it's about 70 miles away from our Lima refinery. So, okay. <laughs> you know, it's uh, if you go back in in time, those two refineries were connected, and we see a lot of opportunities and synergies to to reconnect those two refineries. Um, it makes us the largest refiner in Ohio now. We, oh, nice. we have over uh, thousand thousand employees in Ohio, and uh, and we're really looking forward to you know finally getting our hands on this asset and get it back up safely, safely operating. Um, you know our our focus as an operator obviously is is around the communities we operate in, and uh, you know we're really looking forward to uh, to participating in the community around Toledo. Uh, we're all Mudheads fans there, so uh, you know we're looking to to get out to the ball game, and and they uh, apparently have a pretty good hockey team too. So for us oh, Canadians, really? oh, nice. it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So so now I want to uh, dive a little bit into, of course, uh, a really significant trend that's going on in our industry now, of course, and that is energy security. Uh, 
I think you have a unique opinion uh, on this area because Synovus has an integrated value chain in North America from, of course, production to transport, processing, and then, of course, marketing those products. Um, so my question is, in your opinion, what's the importance of North American energy security? And, and just as a follow-up to that as well, what are some of the primary challenges that your organi- organization sees in that respect? Yeah, you know, Lee, it's, uh, it's quite interesting, right? So up until probably uh, a year ago, energy security wasn't really talked about that much. I mean, if you go back a, a decade or so, it was pretty topical, but, but more recently, it's been about the energy transition. And, and I think uh, what we've seen over the past year, uh, you know, with the, the, the war uh, in the Ukraine, with, uh, um, you know, a lot of challenges with gas supply into Europe, you know, energy security is, is definitely a lot more topical and a lot more talked about. Um, you know, just for, for some information, I mean, you know, we look at it as a North American energy security. Canada produces about 5 million barrels of, of oil a day. 4 million of that is exported into the U.S. Okay, um, yeah. And when you think of, of what the U.S. consumes, uh, 18, 19 million barrels a, a day, you know, converted into products, you know, over 20 to 25 percent of that's coming from Canada. So... When we look at it, we do see it as an integrated, uh, you know, Canada working with the U.S., U.S. working with Canada to really ensure that the, uh, the people of both countries have access to, to safe, reliable uh, energy needs for, for the long term. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So now one of the areas I, I want to discuss because it comes up in, in every conversation that, that we're a part of, and of course that is the topic of sustainability. So how is Synovus optimizing and contributing to more sustainable operations. I mean, in one area too is, do you feel that what you're doing can be replicated by other organizations within the oil and gas industries? Yeah, you know, for Synovus, uh, this isn't new to us. We've been on this journey for, you know, almost two decades now. We've been uh, working to try to make our production more sustainable longer term. Um, I think the other part that I would want to emphasize is a lot of focus is on the environmental performance, but when you think of ESG, environmental, social, and governance, you know, there are a lot of broader perspectives when it comes to being a sustainable company. And, you know, when we think of our social uh, aspect of, of what we try to do, we really try to partner in the communities and give back to the communities in, in which we operate. When we think of governance, we have a, a pretty broad diversity program to enhance uh, enhance the workforce uh, at Synovus. And then, obviously, when you get to environmental, which Seems to be pretty topical. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of things to, to one, reduce our uh, energy intensity and now to try to drop our overall emissions. You know, one critical example is, is you know, Synovus led the initiative to form Pathways. And, and what Pathways is, is a combination of six of the largest producers in Canada. It makes up about 95% of the heavy oil produced in Canada. And that group is coming together with the, the federal and provincial governments to find a way to decarbonize the the oil production in Canada. So, you know, I think, um, you know, we get that right. We look at kind of what uh, policies are being put in place in the U.S. and and we do see a lot of of pathways in order to to continue to reduce our environmental footprint long term. Uh, We have a goal to get to 35% absolute reduction in emissions by 2035. And we also have a a net zero goal by 2050. So it's, a lot underway. A lot of uh, a lot of things that we can do, um, 
and you know we have a few projects uh, in the hopper already that uh, we're advancing. Okay. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the net 50, uh, the net zero ops operations by 2050, because that's one area that I wanted to go into next. Um, can you can you talk a little bit more about that plan, and of course, how is your organization going to achieve it? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you know that I really like the name Pathways because it's not one solution. Right. Right. There's going to be a broad set of of activities that have to happen to achieve that goal. Um, people probably don't fully appreciate how how oil is developed in the oil sands, but we basically take natural gas, we boil water, we in, uh, we make steam, and we inject steam to recover the oil. So, you know, longer term, we're looking at carbon capture on those steam generation. Uh, we're looking at small modular nuclear reactors um, that you can actually put into into the oil sands. You get power and you get a byproduct like steam, and and you have zero emissions. Um, and then we're we're really active in looking at carbon capture and, and sequestration. And you know, there's lots of opportunities at these large assets. They're they're multi-decade long uh, resource. It's the third largest resource in the world. And so you can actually make those investments and get your return on investment over the the decades of operation in order to uh, uh, capture the carbon. And and then you know, Western Canada is is rich with opportunity to uh, to sequester it. When we look. South of the border at our, our refineries, you know, we're, we're very focused on, you know, what we can do there. I think it's uh, still early days for us there, but, but definitely uh, looking into activities that we can do to, to help also uh, achieve our goals of net zero by 2050. Excellent. And one thing you mentioned there, and I, I wanted to bring it up, was, was of course, carbon uh, capture and sequestration, or CCS, as many people call it in the industry. So I'd like to get your opinion on that. So. Uh, Carbon capture within the refining operations, what are your thoughts on CCS adoption in the processing industries? And, and I'm kind of curious, is it a buzzword or are you seeing uh, or going to see significant adoption take place along those lines? Yeah, you know, I think um, it will depend on the company and the refinery. Um, some refineries are well situated where, you know, if you have a steam methane reformer at the refinery, pretty easy to capture the carbon. And then you got to figure out do you have something to, to do with it or just sequester it. And and at one of our assets in Canada, it's at our upgrader asset. We have the the steam methane reforming, so we can capture the CO2, which uh, you know we're advancing projects on. We also have an ethanol plant. We capture the CO2 off that that plant today. Okay. And interestingly enough, uh, in addition to just sequestering the carbon, we actually have an enhanced oil recovery. So because we're an integrated upstream and downstream uh, producer and refiner. You know, we're kind of integrating those operations. We're taking that carbon, we're we're using it to enhance oil production uh, right around the assets that we're that we're working in. So, we're going to look at at those types of opportunities south of the border as well. And uh, and I I would say it's not going to be easy, but uh, but the technologies are there. And and you know the the neat thing about uh, the refining business, it's been innovating for a while. And uh, and I'm pretty sure uh, th- there's probably not a lot of technical challenges that with a lot of uh, focus and attention can't get solved. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. Okay, so I got one more question for you, and this is kind of a crystal ball question. So I'm, I'm curious to know, how do you see the refining industry evolving over the next decade and beyond? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I, uh, you know, we, we have seven refineries, five that we operate, two that we're a joint venture partner in. I've went to a 125-year anniversary at one of them, 135-year <laughs> anniversary at another, and and another one's over 100 years old. Wow. So, 
I mean, these these assets have an ability to adapt to the demands of the consumer, and and so for me, I'm uh, we're very excited about refining. Uh, we're very excited about refining in the U.S., and and that's why you see us growing our our footprint. Um, we think these assets will be around for another hundred years. We think they'll continue to evolve and and adapt to the changes that we're uh, that we're seeing and being requested from the the general public. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be around and, and they're going to be around for a long time developing the products and producing the products that, that the, uh, the consumers want. That's true. I, I imagine they've changed quite a lot 135 <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any equipment there from 135 yeah, no. years ago, but they've been operating for that if long. If they are, they got some good longevity. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Keith, really can't thank you enough. We know how busy you are. So thanks for providing us a couple minutes of your time to chat about uh, some of these really important uh, uh, trends that are going on within our industry. So again, thank you for that. Uh, and of course, we really want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column, live from the AF AFPM annual meeting in San Antonio.